0: Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. This
1: episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So, to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, get 30, maybe get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, maybe get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. Sold! give it a try at mintmobile.com switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full turns at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Rest is History, where today we are going off with a bang because we are talking about Pompeii, Herculaneum, Vesuvius, the works. Uh, I'm Tom Holland and with me is my co-conspirator Dominic Sandbrook. And Dominic, thank you very, very much for Allowing me to do Pompeii, it's really kind of you. You don't dare to face me on your own, do you, Tom? That's the truth of it. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's true. And I'm very very happy to announce that we have a very special guest with us today, um, Sophie Hay, who is an archaeologist who's worked at Pompeii and the adjoining areas for 25 years. Runs the Pompeii social media accounts. Is just about to start a book on women archaeologists who worked at Pompeii. So there couldn't be anyone better to talk about the site. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello. Welcome, up. Thanks for having me. Ah, it's a pleasure, Sophie. <laughs> so, obviously, I, 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 I'm terribly excited to be doing one on Pompeii. <laughs> me too, Tom. Me too. It, I think it would only be fair to hand over to Dominic to ask the first question, because otherwise I'm just going to kind of explode with excitement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Tom. Well, Sophie,
0: I went to Pompeii on honeymoon in 2007.
3: Um, Good choice. Along
0: with, you know, a billion other people. And it's a it's a kind of weird place, isn't it? Because it's both an archaeological site where you sort of dig for historical artifacts and for insights into history. But it's also basically the Roman Disney world, right? I mean, there's a kind of tension there, isn't there? It's a sort of strange, must be a weird thing for you for whom it's work. And most people just go on a day trip and they're interested in the gift shop and in, you know, Sunshades and Coke and all this sort of stuff. So does that seem kind of weird to you to be working amidst all that?
3: Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, when I was working there, I was mainly in a part where the tourists couldn't be. So I was kind of, you know, shielded from all of that, but I did work in the forum. Uh, at one point and that it was like being a sort of museum exhibit yourself um tourists coming up yeah. saying have you found any dinosaurs yet and, <laughs> and, um, and i must be in about six billion people's photograph albums because everyone's taking photographs so yeah that kind of when it was really in my face it was it was weird it also work was very slow because you were just answering questions um but it's also great because you know that what you're doing matters and means something to so many people so there's a kind of that side of it i i adore i just love people's fascination continual sort of questions about sight um and what we're doing so yeah
0: it doesn't make you uneasy that it's become a kind of um a sort of well you know uh, how many coach loads of american chinese and well british tourists go to Pompeii every year and sort of troop round and then troop off again. Yeah,
3: no, that bit always makes me sad because I just think they do. They go to three main things. They see the forum, they see the brothel, they laugh in the brothel, then they go and see one house and then they're back on their coach and they go off to, you know, have a nice lunch somewhere. Yeah, um, It does because I just feel like they haven't had the most of it, but you know, at the same time, there are people who stay there for days on end and you know, really try and embrace everything. So, Sophie,
2: you, you, you hinted um, at, at the fact that Obviously, lots of it is open to the public, but also quite a lot isn't. And even more hasn't even been excavated. Yeah. Uh, And one of the excitements that's going on at the moment is that there's a kind of a a surge of of fresh, fresh excavations. So can you just give us a sense of um, how much remains to be opened and what the most exciting recent discoveries have been?
3: Well, what remains to be opened is really hard to say because it, it changes every five minutes. Um, as they're doing conservation, they open up a new house, but then they close another one so that it kind of gets a break from tourists trooping in and out with their backpacks, scratching along the, the frescoes and things. So it's kind of always in kind of flux, the site. It's, it's, there's you know, And some are only open in the morning. Um, some buildings are only open in the afternoon. So they're trying to kind of stagger it a bit just to kind of help. Um, but in terms of what hasn't been excavated at all it's about one third of the town um, so it's still wow. a huge amount that hasn't been excavated and on the top of that there's sort of farms growing tomatoes which I used to go and steal for yeah. my sandwiches um, which Be- is why I know they're up there
2: <laughs> yeah and because famously the reason why the, the the soil is so fertile is because it's volcanic exactly um, so in a there sense good it's tomatoes. kind of devil's bargain isn't there so I guess we should um, having just kind of vaguely sketched out what you can see and what what the state of play is now we should talk briefly about how it is that pompeii and herculaneum have been preserved um because it's probably the most famous volcanic explosion in history isn't it uh
3: yeah i would i would go with that uh yes yeah, so uh the whole eruption took sort of 24 hours i think in total. Uh so it was kind of a bit of a slow burner which is why you know we find i think so many people still there because people kept thinking we'll be okay we'll be okay. Um but the first thing they saw really was this kind of column of smoke um coming and a sort of cloud of gas coming out of the uh out of the mountain. And we know about this because Pliny the Younger uh who was the nephew of um pliny the elder was actually writing about this at the time otherwise we wouldn't have a clue so we have a really nice eyewitness account of this of this eruption um and yeah this this column of of um ash and and gases uh, rose up to about i think it was about 30 kilometers up into the air um wow. and then collapsed on itself and that's when we kind of get all the um, pumice stone raining down um, starting to cover the city, but this takes so, so long. I mean, there's sort of hours of this, um, that people are kind of, well, maybe we'll be all right. And then, you know, as it, as it builds up in the town and the material kind of gradually, so up, they had this
0: happened, yeah. had this happened before? So, in other words, I
3: mean, in terms, of, yes.
0: So people were when they thought, It's probably going to go away, or it'll be a bit of a pain, but we'll get over it. They weren't being completely demented. They
3: thought. Well, they—they, I mean, the the previous one was sort of nearly two thousand years beforehand. So the volcano must have rumbled and thrown stuff. Yeah, they had no concept of an eruption. They had concepts of earthquakes. They had a lot of earthquakes, and they were well aware that you know they were in an unstable area, but they had no clue. Not an inkling as to an, the idea of an eruption, and even Pliny the Elder, who is Mister sort of natural history, he didn't really even think that, that um, Vesuvius was a, was a volcano anyway. So, I mean, you know, not even the, <laughs> in the know knew. So Pliny no, the gets pomp- it
0: wrong. Shot
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly.
3: There's the head. What did he think it was? Just Clip a mountain boat.
2: with a lot of smoke. It's there in the names, isn't it? because the story is is that Hercules, the great hero, who I'm sure we've talked about before, Dominic, on our many <laughs> podcasts <a> <laughs> about Greek mythology, um, the story is that he, he comes to Italy and uh, the giants are rebellious against the gods and so he shoves them underneath Vesuvius and so the idea is that they're kind of twitching and shaking and convulsing
3: that, in that change, the, the sort of which the generates the
2: earthquake. Yeah, And, and, and Hercules gives his name to Herculaneum and he's supposed he to have had a, a victory procession, which in Greek is Pompeii which is supposedly where the name Pompeii comes from. So there must have been some kind of idea that potentially there was was danger. But as you say, I mean, no idea
3: about that. It's a long stretch from, you know, the earth shaking a bit to... Yeah.
2: And people live in earthquake
0: zones now, don't they? I mean, people live in LA or Istanbul or...
3: Exactly. And they live under volcanoes now too. And, you know, it was when I lived there, I lived there solidly for four years. So I got to know, you know, the locals and... It was a real split camp on whether people would stay in the city during an eruption or not. And of course, some of them had actually lived through the last eruption, which was in 1944. So they kind of knew, you know, and they know that there sort of potential disaster, but they weren't prepared to leave. That was their home. You know, that was where they were going to stay. And then I found some friends who were on a motorbike and getting the hell out. And that's, you know, that's what I... Those are the friends I stuck
0: with. <laughs> and give us some sense, Sophie, of the sort of size and importance of Pompeii before the eruption happened. So, is it? It's it's not that far from. I mean, Naples was a presumably a bigger place then, yes. was it? Neapolis, yeah, Neapolis, exactly. And, and was yeah. it a sort of was it a resort town, a market town? Uh, it's the...
3: more of a port town. So Herculaneum right. is more the kind of. Um, uh, resort, yeah. yeah. And Pompeii was very much a kind of working town, but it's interesting because people always say, oh, well, Pompeii is a kind of bog standard town. Um, it's like, I can't remember who said it, but someone said it. Was, Reading,
0: uh,
3: isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Something like that. <laughs> Saffron Walden, I think it's been compared to, um, but I don't really think it is. I mean, I've traveled quite extensively around the Roman empire and I think it's actually on its own, it's quite an astounding place. The level of craftsmanship the sort of the organisation of the place I think it's it was actually quite a special place but it was yeah the main yeah. hub of it was was a port town
2: and it's old isn't it I mean it's an old place it's kind of long yeah. precedes the Romans precedes the Greeks you've got these people called Oscans who, who, who are settling there and then um well actually Sophie you and I know this because um Sulla the, the terrifying oh, Republican general who is the first to march on Rome. The reason he has these armies is because the Italians have kind of risen in revolt against Roman rule. And it's Sulla who um, essentially besieges and storms Pompeii and the, um, the crater marks on the walls left by his catapults can still be seen. And the last time you took me to Pompeii, you pointed match me, so that's an absolutely uh, no, highlight. And
3: there is one catapult that still still exists. They found it. Just, I mean, it does look like a a, a bomb, really. It, yeah, that was going to do some damage.
2: Kind of amazing, amazing sight. And um, and then and then Salah his his troops get planted there, and it becomes a colony. So in a sense, you know, within kind of you know less than two centuries by the time of the destruction it's it's a col- it's been colonized by the romans it's been stormed by the romans it's been colonized by the romans and so it is a kind of hybrid place
3: yeah no absolutely and this is what aggravates my little you know one of my many hills that i'll go and die on Um, is that people say it's a time capsule, uh, frozen in time. I mean, well, you can't really say frozen when it's just undergone an eruption, but still. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but this kind of time capsule thing as if, you know, it's preserving something absolutely, you know, at a specific time. It's, it's really kind of annoys me because it's, it has got this history that goes back to the sort of sixth century BC. Um, and the whole city is a kind of, palimpsest of all of this it's it's you know as as most cities are they're sort of you know there's there's older bits, there's newer bits um and it doesn't really fit in that sort of time capsule moment for me at all uh, so it's not a particular so frozen
0: history. moment of kind of Romanness you absolutely know, this...
3: not no not to me <laughs> and
0: <laughs> to me. and how many of the people there would have been i mean how many of the people would everybody there have considered themselves romans
3: uh more or less, yeah, yeah,
0: so it wasn't a sort of a melting pot as it were.
3: Well, I mean, it is, but then you know, to be a Roman citizen, you you were a Roman citizen, whether you came from Syria right. or wherever. So, in that sense, yes. I mean, then there's obviously there's a lot of slaves who were not considered citizens and stuff. So there's you know there's it is still a melting pot, but 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 the there's, famously there's the
2: Indian goddess, isn't there, who is conventionally called Lakshmi. The, yes. the statue of the Indian goddess it's, it's in the, the Naples Archaeological Museum. Yes. I don't think it is. Lakshmi. I think no, it's not. It's I, the I remember other being one. Being told off. that <laughs> no, Traditionally, that's what <laughs> she's called. Um, it's the other one, but I yes, the name
3: escapes. But I mean, um, yeah, th-
2: th- that is also the fascination of it, isn't it? That um, you get the sense of peoples who lived there who we don't who don't normally show up in the kind of the historical records for the grand sweep and so it it is kind of possible to tell the stories of the kinds of class of people who otherwise we might not be able to I mean, that's something that you're particularly interested in isn't it yeah no
3: for me and I think you know it's become really popular more recently is to edge away from the emperors and and the main civic buildings you know we know about temples we know about basilica and all of that stuff but Pompeii gives you you know Amazing, amazing opportunity to see everyday life and the person who owns a bar, the person who runs uh, a laundrette um, and then the sort of the invisible slaves kind of come to life as well, because you can actually start imagining them you know, at work, they don't leave many traces behind, but you can suddenly see this city is only going to function with, you know, an engine room type thing of slaves behind it. And I think that's what Pompeii gives me is suddenly this sort of huge light is cast on on those members of society that, that don't normally kind of get into the history books.
0: So if, let me ask you this question. So as a modern historian, when I go to a lot of these sites, um, there's always this slight element of being underwhelmed because there's a pile of stones. So when I drag my son and I say, "There's this most amazing," you're that guide Roman- trip
3: advisor. <laughs> <laughs> this,
0: this, this most, yeah, exactly. This, this most just amazing Roman site. He often says, "Is there actually a wall, or is it really just a line of stones?" <laughs> and and um, <laughs>
3: Very and there's some sort of
0: there's some sort of degree of truth in that. Is that you go to these sites and you're hoping to get into the Roman world, and and it is just buildings. But Pompeii is obviously different because the one thing that everybody gets from Pompeii are the, the plaster casts of the people fleeing the explosion. So you see the, effectively you see the people, but yeah. you see them frozen or rather kind of, I guess, baked in the moment of agony, in the moment yeah. of their death. And at what point does that sort of cross a, bit of a line I mean you wouldn't do that in any other in any sort of recent natural disaster you wouldn't say oh let's go and look at all the corpses of the people who died so how do you how do you kind of feel about that do you think it's I mean obviously you know the visitors love it but do you feel it's okay
3: um I'm I sort of sit on a bit of a fence on that I think I think ethically I feel it is a bit sort of voyeuristic and it makes me a little bit uncomfortable but at the same time it, it has given us, and it's given Pompeii that that real sort of visceral sense of of what happened. And it, yeah, you know, the city the city was populated, and they did suffer. And I think without them being cast and just seeing, you know, some bones, I don't think it has that same power. And and as archaeologists and tourists, we always feel we need that connection or to relate to something yeah, to better it understand it, it? it. And and I think. That's what they provide for me yeah, anyway. There are dogs and I know there's a pig. And there's a there's a very, pig. Kind of amazing, <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. No. So, Sophie, one thing I I wonder about that, that 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 um the way that the um the way that these um they're not bodies, are they? I mean, the the plaster casts, the kind of the gaps that feet fl- the, the, the yeah. these incinerated people had left. Um, There seems to be a huge temptation to impose narratives and stories onto them. So it can be kind of quite fun. There was this kind of famous, was it last year, there was a picture of a a body with a a rock that had fallen on it that (laughs) everyone found very funny. But you also get um, stories about women going to see gladiators and all this kind of stuff. Now that is a kind of romantic projection, isn't it? Most yes. of these. I mean, the, the, the evidence for these stories, when you look at them closely, almost always tends to kind of slightly fall to pieces.
3: Yes. Well, that's that kind of goes back to us always trying to relate and to make them something that we understand, or give them a story so that we feel emotionally attached. Um, and yes, there's the, the cast of the pregnant woman, um, or is it just a bit of her clothing that's ridden up and has given her a bulge and, you know, mm. we're not sure. Um, uh, so yes, I think it's a really a natural sort of idea for us to try and make these stories. And then, yes, as you say, later on, you know, they scan the cast and they find out that actually that woman was a man or the other way around. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> uh, I think there was one that was supposed to be, it was, it was called The Moor. And it turned out to be a local lad of 14 or something, uh, who just yeah. happened to be a bit bigger framed. Uh, so yes, they did get unraveled, but at the same time, it's a, it's so natural. And I mean, I do it every day on site. You know, I would, I would make up little stories about my barman because it kind of helps kind of tick it along
2: but equally not 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 to be a party pooper there are amazing stories that you can extrapolate perhaps not from the bodies but from the graffiti and from the so on so so just give a couple of your favorite examples of that
3: uh i think one of my favorites is um this uh this man called gaius alias nigidius maius and i like him because he kind of embodies to me how we find out about these people in pompeii we 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 kind of we don't go into their houses and rummage through their sort of desk drawers and find a whole load of documents that tell us exactly what he was doing on this day or whatever. You know, we don't have that in Pompeii. And I think people think that that's how it works is, you know, you find a house of someone and you automatically know what they're all up to. And this guy who uh, they discovered his house in 1810, I think. So very early on in the, in the beginning of the excavations, and they found his name painted on the wall and said, this is my property and I want to let it out. So see my slave primus about, you know, renting it. And that's all we knew about him. Then it kind of transpired that his family who had adopted him was very rich because they've got tombs outside the town. And then about a hundred years later, you know, on the other side of Pompeii, excavation is continuing and they find some, uh, painted notices on the wall, which tell us, that Nigidius Maius is in charge of organising the amphitheatre games. Um, so we suddenly get, you know, a flashback a hundred years later to sort of, you know, oh, this guy, yes, I remember him from over there. And then we find out that he was organising games, probably during the ban when Nero banned the games uh, from 59, uh, AD 59, because he starts putting on games, but they don't have gladiators in them because they're banned, because there was a riot and um, Nero got cross, And then... Spool forward to, I think it was about 2018. So another hundred years passes and they find a tomb in the south of the city and they find a huge long inscription. Everyone gets very excited except there's no name on it. So it's still kind of a a blank. But in the inscription, they've got details of this huge banquet that's put on uh, for over, well, it's nearly 7,000 people he puts a banquet on for. But it also says he was the organiser of the games during the ban. Of Nero, so it's probably his tomb, and this whole inscription is 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 a bit sort of um, like the raised Gestae type thing. It's sort of what I did when I was alive and what I accomplished and how great they are. So then we've suddenly got a biography of this man, but this has taken two hundred years to piece together from three different places in town, and I just think, you know, his life is he was very important in in the town. He had the highest office, uh, the ranking office that you could have. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the process is really slow. And I think that he embodies it for me. And I just kind of love that fragmentary sticking jigsaw pieces together.
2: So, so Dominic, so he's kind of Barry Hearn.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, or indeed Donald Trump. Or um... like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: that's a nice thought. No, isn't he, it?
3: Put, he put games on free. Mm-hmm. He was nice. He was a nice guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I mean, there's never free... a free lunch. <laughs> no, no, no. There's, there's, a, there's a quid pro quo, isn't there? Sophie, you, since well, you've already outed me, is the uh, man on TripAdvisor who complains yes, about a pile of stones. I <laughs> might as well go all in. <laughs> okay. um, the other thing that people take away from Pompeii that everybody knows about is the erotic art right? I mean, that's what a lot of tourists come to see. They come to see, they expect to see mosaics of sort of people, you know, behaving in a debauched way. Yes. Um, now, my question is sort of twofold. Is that, have we exaggerated that or was that kind of the norm? And if it was the norm and people had those, that stuff in their kind of dining room, does that tell us that the Romans were completely unlike us? And their sort of moral standards and everything were utterly different. Or am I exaggerating and overplaying that?
3: No, I think you're spot on. <laughs> oh. I think um, it is really prevalent. And um, when they first started excavating in the in the mid eighteenth century, the excavators were horrified to find that there were fallacies, um, kind of. Uh, t- sort of transcended every class in Pompeii. It wasn't just, right. you know, in the elite or it wasn't just the, you know, the naughty little, um, sort of bar owners and things like that. It, yeah. it pervaded all, all sort of society. And they were, they were absolutely horrified and they took all of the material away and hid it in a museum, um, <laughs> in, in the palace at Portici because they just didn't want people to know that, you know, the Romans were so unlike I mean, I say us, I mean, this is already 50 yeah. years ago. Um, and that carried on, you know, hiding this stuff. And in fact, the which then became the secret museum in Naples, which uh, only opened to the public in 2000. That's when it was kind of deemed OK. So, I mean, it's taken us quite a long time to get to grips with, with the pornography. As um, it were. As it were, <laughs> yes, <laughs> no pun intended, um in fact, I went to the British Library, uh I should probably shouldn't name and shame them, but I went to the british library to 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 look at one of the uh erotic art books of Pompeii and it was under sort of special handling um label or something, and I had to go and I had to go to a desk where I wasn't allowed to take photographs, it had you know a big sort of stickers on it saying, "Don't take photos," and it was literally just a coffee table book of the frescoes that we see on the internet all the time. Um, But I just thought this is quite hilarious that still, um, you know, in 2019, whenever it was, uh, that it was still under this kind of ban. Um, But no, it was, it was everywhere. And I think they did. did So give me some sense.
0: So basically, if you grew up in Pompeii, or indeed any Roman town in that time, you were surrounded by this stuff, all the time, right? From yeah. childhood to, you know, it wasn't something that little Johnny and great Aunt Marjorie don't get to see because they're the wrong age and it's not appropriate. It's, it's always appropriate. Was that the kind of?
3: Um, I think, I mean, I think there were slight boundaries. I mean, there, it depends. There's lots of context for, for sort of rude bits and pieces obviously you've got the brothel which you know kids probably wouldn't be going to um but inside private houses you know they're mainly the erotic pictures are mainly in the more private areas although there's some are in the sort of the atrium which is where everyone can go um, but then you've got things like the plaques with penises on for um sort of good luck so that has yeah. a completely different sort of um, idea about it and that was seen by everybody they were on street corners there above your door they were on wind chimes lamps I mean yeah you wind would see chimes. you would see the, you would see a phallic symbol even as a child absolutely I mean and, I, and I
2: I find Pompeii quite oppressive for that reason because it's tempting to fight going in a tee huge phalluses everywhere yeah but I mean actually children would have been sexually abused um, in, in houses and in brothels. I mean, they were, you know, that were perfectly legitimate. And I, what, what I feel when you, when you go to Pompeii and you look at the, the spaces in which the slaves were obliged to live and you, kn- you, you know that they are kind of free game for whoever, yeah. whoever is free, whoever owns them. And, and you feel how horrendous it must have been to be owned, to be kind of subject to, to, to the kind of sustained sexual abuse that clearly is providing the, the sexual economy of, of of Pompeii with its its foundations, and so I, I think that one of the one of the tensions in going to Pompeii is that it is marketed as um, uh, something where you can see how the Romans really lived, and the implication is, oh look, they were just like us. But actually, I think if you look more deeply, you find they weren't like us at all. It was kind of terrifyingly different. Uh, on on which note, I think perhaps. We should go for a break, and when we come I back, maybe plug, I Sophie, thought you were going to plug your book there, Tom. That was the <laughs> obvious. Point I, so I was about out. to. I was about she to. Was. I could see you were thinking of thinking it. and I, I could sense the disappointment, <laughs> unspoken, coming at me down the uh, down the line. So, so no, I'm not going to plug my book, which is available from all good bookshops. Uh, let's let's go for a break, and when we come back, maybe I can plug it then.
1: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing.
0: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, how get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, get
1: 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? Sold! Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full turns at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Then answer a few short questions about mom and gift mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply.
0: Welcome back to uh, my show. The rest is history. With my guests Tom Holland, and uh, <laughs> sorry, I can do that without laughing. At that. My guest Tom Holland and uh, Dr. Sophie Hay, who's here to talk about Pompeii. We have a ton of questions, Tom. Um, from we do uh, people on Twitter. I'm going to kick off with Mark Woodhouse. He says he, he just wants to cut to the chase. Basically, he says he wants to know what is the most significant find from the recent excavations, and what do you reckon? is there what, what is left what's what, what's waiting to be dug up sophie uh
3: so yeah no the new excavations have been absolutely i mean just mind-boggling to, to me and i'm quite used to all of you know the things that found in pompeii but i have been as googly-eyed as everybody else watching these things kind of appear out the ground I mean, there should be some kind of um caveat saying that why these excavations took place because i think people are just Believing that they're going ahead digging without conserving yeah. what they've got, and in fact, this is all part of a of a bigger project um, that was given EU funding to to basically make the sides of the excavation stable. Um, so it's a conservation project, but it's got an element as they kind of step back the side of the excavation. There, they are actually digging in houses, um, but yeah, no, absolutely stunning. And I, I do actually think that the the most recent find of the of the bar. Right. Um, mm. Is is probably one of the most important because it takes us beyond what we knew before. Whereas a lot of the other things, although they're stunning, and why does it
2: do that, Sophie? It, because because um, of the the material found it the the food that was found actually yeah. in the pots.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. For the for the first time, and they're quite right in saying that we we can you know dig something absolutely properly, and they can throw technology at it. They've got the zoo archaeologists, they've got archaeobotanists looking at the at the remains inside the pots. So the fact that they found duck bone a duck bone inside the pot it's actually the first time that we've got a bone in a pot in a bar in pompeii (laughs) um food has been found in these kind of sunken uh, sort of sunken ceramic vessels that are that are kind of encased within the bar um and all the previous ones that we know of um or any evidence we've had is always dried food so we've always had this thing that the you know they were serving dried food and suddenly we get shifted completely um off and we suddenly think oh actually they were producing hot food and it was being stored in these in these in these pots and we have i think there was a pork and fish dish so probably the first surf and turf dish that there was <laughs> um in that one pot disgusting and it, well the other the next pork pot is even fish. worse you'd, you'd go you get pork and fish rather than snails fish and sheep <laughs> yes. soup or Ooh, something snails fish and S- what sheep and sheep. Sheep, yeah. yeah. So they, they then, were found the in another pot. fish
2: gut sauce.
3: Exactly. Oh, uh, garum. Is that garum? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's all right, actually. That's more like soy sauce. So we can, we can kind of let well, the garum, garum slide but so, off, but, but snail so, soup is so, so not much for me.
2: Um, I mean, important to emphasize as well that it's not just Pompeii, because there's also Herculaneum, which there is, is yes. the modern town of, um, is, is built right on top of it. And I, I think, um, I'm right in remembering that, um, the house of the local mafia boss, is over a crucial section of it <laughs> yes. that they want to dig up so that's not going to happen and then of course there's the famous the villa of papyri isn't that with, exactly with the, yeah the tantalising possibility yeah and no when it. i
3: worked there yeah. they had demolished a whole series of houses and there was this sort of little island sticking up and 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 in it was the uh the mafia boss under house arrest um <laughs> watching us doing our work so yeah
2: so yeah so the roman patterns of patronage last into the 21st <laughs> exactly, century
3: exactly okay well here here's here's the mm.
2: here's the big question here's the okay. big question
3: Uh-oh. it's
2: from neil page are we any closer in getting consensus on a confirmed date for when Vesuvius erupted. Okay. And Dominic, as a as a historian of of modern Britain, I'm sure this embodies all your frustrations with ancient history yeah. that we don't even know. Don't even know when it happened. No, 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 come no. on. Get <laughs> a grip it of yourself. So, so <laughs> please, spell, can, can, are, you, are you able to, to give us the, the kind a, of the in rival? A <laughs> the, as it were, the, in a yeah. nutshell, yes. What the positions are.
3: Okay. Right. So, uh, Yes. Pliny the Younger, um writing his, we've got, we've only got medieval copies of his writing. So he wrote these letters um and he put in the date of the eruption that it happened. Thank you very much. Except the scribes, so I don't blame Pliny, Pliny. I, I blame the later scribes. Uh, they couldn't quite read it. It was in a bit of, you know, tattery state or something. And so they just basically all made up different dates and inserted them. So we have the 24th of August, but we also have... Uh, 30th of November or something and something in October and one in December, I think. So, but the one that the sort of the copy of the letter, that's the best preserved is the one that's got the 24th of August. So that has basically become canon and that's the one that's banded around. Then you kind of look at uh the archeology span and it kind of doesn't quite fit uh for the 24th of August. So the main, the main archeological evidence against August is pomegranates, And I'm definitely team pomegranate. (laughs) Um, The fact you've got ripened pomegranates means it has to have been later in autumn. So they don't ripen and get eaten until end of September. Um, So pomegranates are one. Um, Then there's there's some really nice stuff actually from grapes, because obviously you harvest grapes sort of October Mm -hmm. time. And when one of the wine pressing rooms in Pompeii was being dug, um they found that kind of sludge still on the floor from mm. from all the debris from from wine pressing and that wouldn't have been there in august i mean one would hope they would have cleaned it up by then <laughs> uh so yeah
2: so yes. do you have a sense of as is there a has a consensus swung now um i mean these uh, things take yes. time don't they it's like moving an oil tanker but do, do you yeah. think that it, it is a majority opinion now that it was in the autumn
3: I think, I think we'd all like to, yes, say that that is the case, but people will still refer to the, to the 24th of August. And then we had that yeah. graffito in, in the new excavations, in fact. So that's another really important thing. So that what does that, what's that say? It's yeah. written in charcoal, and annoyingly, it has a date of the 17th of October. So everyone got super excited saying, well, you can't write 17th of October if, it's, you know, yeah. if it was all up in smoke um, in, uh, in August. Um, but, of course, there's no date. There's no year date. So, <laughs> and, and they could conceivably... Your, face, re- your is like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, but they so could close. conceivably also
0: be writing, I'll see you next month on... Yeah, well,
3: it, well <laughs> indeed, indeed, it could have been, yes. So there's, I mean, we have all these like little tantalising glimpses. Right. There was a coin as well that came up, which everyone said, this could only have been minted after the 24th of August. And it was found in a, yeah. in a context that was completely safe, that there was no evidence of tampering. Uh, and yet, then it went to the British Museum, this coin got looked at, and they said, well a bit that kind of gives you that sort of honorific title for, for Titus is actually really worn and you can't quite read it oh, <laughs>
2: so, you see this uh, is why um, this, Dominic this is why you want to stick yeah, with yeah, Wilson. Yeah. You, 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 you don't get this kind of nonsense yeah, Tony Benn's diaries kind of.
3: We don't even know the date of the big earthquake either. There's a huge earthquake and there's debate over that as well. We have two single yeah, dates of Pompeii. and we don't um, know which is which.
2: That brilliant that brilliant kind of freeze showing all the buildings.
3: Mm.
2: Tilting and toppling and
3: things. Exactly. So. But we yeah, uh, 62, 63, who knows?
0: Dominic, do we have another question? Yeah, we do. Let me ask a question from Nathan. Nathan's got a very good question, actually. He's asking about the rediscovery of Pompeii and, and what people knew about it beforehand. So in other words, had Pompeii completely being forgotten was the kind of local law that survived through all the centuries that said there is something there that is covered. There was this terrible tragedy, you know, did sort of folk tales persist or was this a sort of complete bolt from the blue when people started to uncover it?
3: Uh, One of the Bourbons who were digging it in 1748 would want you to believe that it was a complete bolt out of the blue and look at them, uh, look what they discovered. Whereas actually in reality, it was known about the whole time, pretty much. I would say, really,
0: yeah. So people um, have grown up for generations knowing yeah. that this. So stuff-
3: it, it appears, it appears on a on a map that's third, fourth century AD, and it's labeled on the Putinger map. So it's a map of Italy, and it's it's labeled as Pompeii there, as is Herculaneum, as is Apollantis, as is Stabia. Wow. Um, and then it becomes sort of in the medieval period, it becomes known as La Civita. So it's it's a mound. It's still covered. And I mean, there's debate as to whether things were popping out or not in terms of buildings. Um, but La Civita means the settlement, so it's kind of understood that there's something still under there. And if you ploughing the ground all the time, because again, fertile soil, um, you you know, things would pop out and bits of marble would come out. Um, and so they, they they did know all along. It's just that it wasn't. Interesting to you.
2: <laughs> there's some. There's uh, Sanazzaro, isn't it? The um, Neapolitan poet writing at the beginning of yes. the 16th century and yeah, it, poem Arcadia. And yes, exactly. He, he kind of says, you know, there are cities and towns and villas and things. Yeah, no. So, someone, someone yeah. in
3: 1594 said, you know, oh, because in yeah, in 1594 they started digging um, uh, a tunnel. Uh, through Pompeii for a canal. And so they kept hitting, as they were digging through the mound, they kept hitting walls. Um, and they sort of flagged it up and went, I think we're, we're hitting something. And, and the people in charge were like, well, don't worry about it. Keep going. Because it basically didn't adhere to the kind of the ideology of, um, the Inquisition, which was kind of that period. Um, and any kind of reference to the past was, was kind of politically incorrect.
0: Sophie, I wanted to. I wanted to quiz you a bit on that. You okay. said that they didn't care about it; they weren't interested. Can that really be true? Are you telling me that all these people just genuinely weren't? They didn't care.
3: Well, there wasn't. There wasn't that. There, I don't think there was that sort of fever for, for. I mean, to me, Pompeii is always a very political thing it's used for propaganda it's it's used by the bourbons to promote themselves it's used by napoleon it's used by mussolini you know it's entire it's used during the period of um unification of italy you know to say who we are what we are as people you know it's always had a political edge so without that political edge there's kind of no real not even antiquarianism
0: that didn't that wasn't i think it
3: was i don't think it was it was it was too early for, for right. collecting a statue, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's my sort of hold on this. I think there's,
2: there's some evidence, isn't there, in the in the sixteenth and seventeenth century that people are kind of starting to ferret. I mean, I think it's I think it's um I think it's kind of towards the end of the seventeenth century that somebody finds an inscription with Pompeii on it mm. so that they then know that it's
3: Well they think it's, it's at that Pompeii. point Well, no, at that point they think it's the Villa of Pompey the Great. So they confuse it and they're like, well, it's not as great. <laughs> and then they
2: cross reference and,
3: and. Exactly. And so no, it there, out. there's, there is sort of interest amongst some, but it's not, it's not a big explosion of we've got to have the statuary and everything that happens. I mean, in Herculaneum, it starts beforehand. It starts at the beginning of the 18th century when, when a guy sinks his well over the theatre in Herculaneum and pulls out marble. And then there's a, There's an Austrian prince who decides, well, I'm building a villa. I'd quite like that marble on my walls. Thanks. Um, So he kind of he starts the sort of the process and then it kind of gets um, exploded when when Charles Bourbon um, kind of comes into town and says, yes, let's have all this stuff and build a museum and and the rest of it.
2: And then um, Lady Hamilton's. Yes. Husband.
3: <laughs> well, yes, he does a fair bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, d- he does a okay, lot of work. Yeah.
2: We've we've got a, a, a question. We've already kind of touched on it, but mm. but maybe we could just, as it were, flesh it out. It's from the aptly named Ennius. And he says, in the light of recent discoveries, what would the typical daily diet of a resident of Pompeii and Herculaneum be? And I suppose th- that depends on what class of person
3: are well, we talking about. actually, it's quite interesting. Um, uh, our, our good friend, Andrew Wallace-Haddle, dug a sewer in Herculaneum and the sewer goes underneath a range of houses and shops and from, you know, very low class to slightly better. And he could see exactly what they were shitting out of each house. And in fact, the the range of foods was was just like you'd find, you know, in an elite house. They were having fresh fish. I mean, they live right on the coast, Uh, seashells, uh, meats, different vegetables and their diet is actually sort of the the one thing that's the great unifier in 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 these towns i think um from his from this evidence um and then you've got all the frescoes of food which kind of help us see what they were what they were growing i think it's to me that the Pompeians and Herculaneum people were sort of perpetually eating so if they weren't growing it themselves in their in their gardens which they did a lot and we have good excavations to show us what kind of, you know, they had cabbages and onion, uh, garlic and things like that. And obviously vine- vineyards. Um, but then, then they had pictures of them on their walls and then they, you know, they would go out and buy it and then eventually they would eat <laughs> it. But it's kind of just constant, which is very Italian, actually. If you go to Italy now, if you're having a meal with an Italian, they'll, t- they'll be talking about the next meal. Um, so they- so how many meals,
0: how many meals a day,
3: Sophie, do they, have? uh, I think they were having three. I think okay. the main the main meal I think in the day was 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 lunch. If I'm not mistaken,
2: I will always be grateful to you for taking me behind the scenes of the museum at Herculaneum and showing me oh, the yeah. the charred remains of all the figs and the, the rut, dates, the grain, and uh, amazing, amazing sight, it's, the dates and, and the bread. And, yeah, really I mean, really lot, amazing
3: loaves of bread. <laughs> Yeah, uh, But really. yeah, so all of that evidence helps us know exactly um, what they're eating. But yeah, I think the, the Herculaneum evidence is excellent for kind of saying across the board um, that these people were all enjoying a kind of really good diet. They were on fertile land next to a, a bountiful sea. It's kind of perfect.
0: Well, this brings us perfectly to John Hawke's question. He wants to know about, he's obviously a sewerage consultant or some sort of um, waste disposal professional. He wants to know about stream, street street cleansing Ooh. was it dirty um were people throwing their stuff out in the street how many were there he he questions whether there were sewers there appeared to be little or no sewers he says oh, so, yeah. so no
3: pompeii not- pompeii does have um a lack of sewers there, i think there's one massive big one um but basically under the streets of pompeii there, there's none they they used for for their poo they basically used um sort of soakaways um they just had they just use the natural earth to kind of absorb. Um, nice. so, yeah, <laughs> no, I smelly. Uh, so yes, no, there's one thing that I think a lot of people forget is, is the smell of Pompeii. <laughs> and I think it would have been pretty rancid at times. Um, in terms of cleaning the streets, there, they are, there are laws about making sure that your property is clean outside, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't. Um, quite disgusting and in fact in the recent excavations because you know they weren't just trying to get down to hard and fast archaeology in terms of roads and buildings they were looking at all the sort of accumulations they did find on a road a sort of a, a slew of of shit basically um, and it kind of does show the state that some of these you know back streets might have been in the main thoroughfares might have been really nice and clean and looked after because that's where the the ediles of the town were kind of passing through um, but the back streets may have been worse um, but in terms of cleaning the streets they had a they had a sort of they used nature um, and because Pompeii's on a slope when it rains the they had water towers and things collecting um, uh, water during during sort of drier seasons, but that would overflow, and they would just let the water race down the street. And when it rains in Pompeii, if you're there now, the roads are like rivers, and then you suddenly realise why those little stepping stones are actually quite useful, um, so you can kind of avoid these torrents of water. So it kind of would have naturally cleaned itself, but people would have been involved. But yeah, it would have been a pretty smelly,
0: yeah, place. Of course, the people would have been very smelly, wouldn't they? To well, us, yes. they would seem, yeah.
3: Although they did, you know, they did enjoy their baths regularly. But the (laughs) (laughs) baths, a little oily smell to you, (laughs) yes, wading around in other people's yes. Okay, this is
2: uh, this is the next question is from Ian McKinney, and it is something that we have touched on Mm -hmm. several times. But let's just try and nail it down. Realistically, is there likely to be any more completely new discoveries at Pompeii, or have we probably learned everything we're going to learn? So I guess by that he means. You know, some spectacular building, some amazing yeah. edifice. But of course, I mean that actually, in a way, what's most fascinating is the kind of the tiny details, of graffiti, or that. I mean,
3: exactly. The, yeah, the, no. The
2: unexpected. To, you
3: know. Unless they find, unless they find the planning office, I'd like that for my work. To, <laughs> sort of how houses <laughs> developed and things like that—that that would be really useful. Um, but no, absolutely, the the key is in the detail, and and these new excavations have provided a lot of. Uh, confirmation of what we already knew, which is reassuring. Um, but they keep adding like little details, so new um, graffiti or signs that say somebody's running for political office or something like that. So we we are building a picture. But but things like the bar that really change how we know about their diet or what was being eaten in these fast food places. Which I mean, I shouldn't call it fast food. It actually makes me a little queasy calling that that yeah because we're labeling it as such i just (laughs) um but yeah no i think there's plenty to be found i mean one third of the city's still uncovered there's there's still a lot out there but i hope in a weird way i don't want to see it in my lifetime
0: yeah if you but if you had a kind of dream discovery sophie if there's Mm. one thing you wanted to find a question that nags at you or a discovery what would it be
3: um it would be the planning office it would be how people uh, but, you know, uh if, I mean, if there was something. That's not the answer I was expecting to <laughs> Oh, sorry. Okay, something Very more romantic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, but this is what you get when you work there too long. And you're obsessed by walls. You want to know did they get permission to add to their houses and change their property back? You want
0: to know if they got planning permission. That's yeah. genuinely your the <laughs> that question that
3: keeps you
1: awake at night.
3: She should be
2: writing the history of 1970s England. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, I haven't. I haven't got a very romantic um, notion on that. Sorry. So not not
2: the buried library. And-
3: well, if it comes, if, if the, if the planning office happens to be next to the library, then bingo. Yeah,
2: that <laughs> would, everyone, everyone would be happy.
3: Um, I think, I think we've covered a, a fair
2: amount. Do you mind if I just crowbar in one thing that I carefully researched?
0: Yeah, because I was go. asked the
2: question, um, were there any, is there any evidence for, uh, Christians having been in Pompeii? Um, and I think it's interesting because it shows, um, how in a way, how difficult it is to to, to kind of make sense of the, the process of archaeology. Because it turns out that there, that, that there was an inscription that was found in 1862 that um, apparently did... It has Christianos, so Christians, and it's conventionally translated. Bovio is listening to the Christians who are cruel haters, is how it's conventionally translated. But the problem is that there were various transcriptions made of this inscription that was on a building that no longer exists. So... It's- the issue then becomes, you know, was it copied down correctly? And of course, because in the middle of the 19th century, people were looking for Christians in Pompeii. Was there a bit of wish fulfillment going on? Um, I think the latest consensus probably it, it, it is authentic, but hard to know and again this will confirm Dominic's darkest suspicions um, just just when you think just when you think that you've uh, you've got a really clinching piece of evidence it kind of slips through
3: your (laughs) fingers yeah Yeah, there's a there's a a crucifix in Herculaneum on the wall there's there's the shape of a crucifix and people got extremely excited (laughs) about this and it ends up it's probably just a fixture for a shelf so (laughs) 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 it's like (laughs) you can't explain these things away Um, Yeah. yeah but the same is true for jews i've been asked if there are lots of jews in, in pompeii and you know we don't really have much evidence but we, we know they're in rome but but whether they're they're in pompeii hard hard to tell but we
2: do we do have that indian goddess so
3: but we do have that let's yes. cling let's cling to
2: that well Sophie, thanks so much um Pleasure. very very exciting after stephen fry you are our first guest <gasps> <I know. laughs> so very very
0: much he was a great warm
3: up warm up thanks <laughs>
0: thank you Sophie. that was fascinating
3: no my pleasure thank you very
2: much okay we'll be uh we'll be back next week uh on my show and my special guest <laughs> Sandra, will be with me as well so we'll see you then goodbye thanks for listening to the rest is history for bonus episodes early access ad-free listening and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.